0: Alright guys, welcome in to Deep Dive Fantasy Football. I am stoked and this is going to be a great pod. I'll tell you that from right now. Let's get it going. But before we do, I just want to say I am completely done with my projections. Feels great. I have put so much work into this um, season so far. And I have my draft sheets done. I even have been working on something called VORP value over replacement, which is a system that I use to help me decide cross-positional draft decisions, like if I should take a running back in this round or a wide receiver, and how much of a difference or advantage that's going to give me per week against my opponent. I have been grinding, man. I You can't tell on the audio, but I have the biggest smile on my face right now. I'm ready to go, because not only have I finished my projections, and now I can get into all sorts of deeper... Uh, Conversations and look at more specific things and find new information and come up with great podcasts, start bringing guests on all that stuff. Not only can I start doing that, but also I can give you guys my exact numbers for where I have people ranked. And this division, the one that I saved for last, and I did it because I knew there was going to be some juicy content the AFC North with the Browns, Ravens, Bengals, and Steelers. And, um, yeah so usually i take about an hour to do the four divisions which by the way i could literally talk about one division for an hour and make an hour podcast for each division um because of all the research and stuff i put into each team which by the way i mean if you wanted to get the benefit of the 75 plus hours that i put into these draft sheets and rankings it's completely free on the website you just go on the website and there's um link buttons on almost every page that says ultimate draft sheets and it'll take you right to my google spreadsheet and it's got everything for you You can sort it how you want it you can drag the rankings you can change it up you can do whatever you want but that's let's put that to the side outside of that um this division is wow like do i have some findings for you guys so let's just get into it we're going to start with the browns so They bolstered their offensive line, and they obviously hired Kevin Stefanski, the offensive coordinator from the Minnesota Vikings, and he likes to commit to the run. We saw that with Dalvin Cook and the Vikings. They also added Austin Hooper in free agency, made him the, I believe, highest paid tight end in the league. They added Jack Conklin at right tackle in free agency from the Titans, which is a super, super important add for them considering that was probably the weakest point of their offense and maybe even their entire team last year. And part of the reason, if not more than half of the contribution to why Baker struggled so much um, on top of bad coaching, bad play calling, which obviously, hopefully that gets better now with the new coach calling plays. And then they also added a left tackle. So they added a right tackle, Jack Conklin, and they got a left tackle, Jedrick Wills, who will make an immediate impact he is a great pass protector from Alabama. He is the NFL ready tackle of the class. Like this was one of the better tackle classes we've seen in the last 4 or 5 years and we had four elite or not elite, it depends on you know how stringent you are with that word, but four very very good prospects that were all rated inside like the top 15 of every every position in this draft. Jedrick Wills was the most NFL ready of them all and so that will definitely help upgrade their o-line make things easier for baker make things easier for nick chubb and kareem hunt running behind the line everything is going to be easier smoother and i expect to see much more efficiency and a bounce back from baker this year but you do have to expect a low volume passing offense for great baker and the browns and the wide receivers are going to be hurt from this You saw it in Minnesota, and you even saw it last year, the Browns by themselves. So then, if the Browns were a low-volume passing offense last year, and they weren't even very efficient, and then Kevin Stefanski with the Vikings was also a low-passing offense, them together is probably going to still be a low-passing offense in terms of volume. And it will still get better um, better efficiently, but... You have to just know that Baker's not going to throw the ball enough times, in my opinion, to be a great fantasy quarterback. Neither is he going to throw the ball enough times to make Odell or Jarvis a wide receiver one. Um, So we're going to keep that in mind as we move forward. They also drafted, um, and I'm just mentioning this because Dynasty, and I love this guy. They drafted wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones, otherwise known as DPJ, super late. I could not believe he was that late, um, available that late in the draft. He was a top 10 receiver per my evals in the pre-draft process, and I was really hoping somebody was going to take him in the second or third, because then I could just get all in on him and love him in fantasy, because as we know, investment, especially draft capital, equals opportunity most of the time. Um, But he's probably the third best receiver there behind Jarvis and Odell, and if Odell for some reason doesn't work out this year and continues on that path he was doing last year, um, then... Donovan Peoples-Jones has a chance to become the number two receiver as early as next year, and I think he has the talent to do so. And uh, my comp for him was actually Allen Robinson, which obviously so many people are very high on. So if you are, and literally you could get him in the fourth round, like at the very back with your last pick, the very back of the draft in your rookie dynasty drafts. So why not, if you're looking for a flyer, I'm giving you a perfect name for it. That's Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, He has the chance if Baker bounces back the way, I think he does, and Baker is good. He has the chance to become at minimum the wide receiver three, maybe the wide receiver two if either Jarvis or Odell leave town anytime soon. So he's a great pick for Dynasty. Now, let's get into something I found very important. The highest targeted players after Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham last year for the Browns were Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt at 49 targets and 44 targets. These running backs will get heavy usage not only in the run game, but also a decent amount in the pass game. And this is even more important. The highest targeted wide receiver or tight end, not including Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, was Demetrius Harris with only 27 targets. Not receptions, 27 targets. And that was the third most targets to any wide receiver or tight end. That's important to keep in mind for Austin Hooper. Hooper and Njoku, because Njoku was hurt last year, Hooper and Njoku competing for tight end targets that are already going to be hard to come by ruins both of their values. And I do not see any scenario in which Austin Hooper is able to get like 90, 80, 80, 90 targets. And a lot of people have him at that range. I don't see how it happens because you have the Browns Probably passing around five hundred something pass attempts, like low five hundreds, probably no more than five thirty five or five forty. And you have Jarvis and Odell taking fifty percent of the target share, which is what they did last year, and I expect that to continue. So and then you have a hundred targets going to the running backs, so that's another twenty percent. So now you got thirty percent to distribute between Njoku, Hooper, Donovan Peoples Jones, any other uh, off targets that they go to the running backs throwaways and any other receivers like Rashad Higgins um, and like I said DPJ so you have so many like targets in that offense so yeah I know they paid him a lot and we'll get more into Hooper later but I just want you to keep in mind that it's going to be very hard for Hooper to get the targets that he needs to live up to some people's expectations and I'm not going to be touching them. Either Joku or Hooper because of it. So in 2018, the Browns ran 985 plays, and last year they ran 932. The offense should be better and get back up to the similar count that they had in 2018 at 985. But it's going to be a, a heavier run percentage. Last year, Kevin Stefanski ran the ball with the Vikings more than 50 percent of the time. He ran the ball more than they ran the ball more than they passed it was 51% run, 49% pass. Last year, the Browns only ran the ball 42% of the time. I expect that new figure to be somewhere, of course, in the middle at 47%. And that looks good initially for Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt's fantasy value. But they're actually going to hurt each other. And we'll also be getting into that. But more Kareem Hunt hurting than uh, Nick Chubb, since Nick Chubb is the one being drafted high, and he's the number one guy there. So Let's go ahead and start getting specific on players. That was more of an overview with some stats that, you know, I kind of got into some players already, but let's get into Baker specifically. I'm projecting 522 pass attempts. He's going to be more efficient from the combination of having multiple upgrades on the offensive line and having a second year to gel with Odell and having a better offensive play caller with Kevin Stefanski. And honestly... He has a low ceiling in which it'd be a, a very, very run-heavy offense. So I don't really find myself drafting Baker often. There's a lot of quarterbacks in his area that I prefer to take. So Baker's not going to be somebody I'm going to be looking at too much. Then we have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I'm going to talk about them together because that's kind of how they're going to be used is together. So the rush split in terms of who got how many carries from the team last year between Hunt and Chubb was this, 77% to Nick Chubb and 23% to Kareem Hunt once Kareem Hunt was obviously back. Um, And that was week nine and later because he was suspended for eight games. That probably evens out a bit more to 70-30 for Chubb's favor, of course. Chubb is the main guy when it comes to taking the carries. So I have Chubb getting 70%. That's a lot, especially when you have a very, very good RB2 behind you. Most teams that have um split backfields or have like a dual approach at running back committee that's the word I was looking for um most teams that have a running back committee are usually at the 55 45 60 40 split um you don't usually see a 70 30 but that's what I'm projecting because that's even closer to the average than what they did last year which was 77 23 like I said so I'm actually kind of high on Chubb I believe at least, and from what I've seen compared to other people, I'm high on Chubb in his carries, yet I still end up having him lower in my rankings. And that's because Hunt is going to take all of his receiving work. The receiving split when Hunt came back was 73% Kareem Hunt, 27% Nick Chubb. Hunt is the clear receiving back. It's not even close. Also, when Kareem Hunt came back, he had more touchdowns than Nick Chubb did. That's insane. I don't, expect that to continue, but that's something that has to scare you. I'm projecting Chubb for more, but it's going to be close. Also, Nick Chubb needs to convert inside the five if he wants to be anywhere close to living up to ADP. Last year, he got stuffed and got negative yards so many times inside the five-yard line, inside the 10-yard line. He was not converting. He needs to do that if he's going to live up to his back end of the first to at the latest mid-second. ADP right now because that is way too high in my opinion especially for PPR leagues last year he struggled in terms of getting those those touchdowns he was very efficient overall as a runner and I think that keeps him at a very big share of the carries but you just have to realize he's losing his efficiency or uh sorry not his efficiency he's losing his receiving work and he's not a huge touchdown guy most of the guys at the top of drafts Christian McCaffrey Alvin Kamara Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel LA, all of these guys are usually, if they play 16 games, double-digit guys. Chubb has never had double digits. Chubb was not on pace for double digits. He was not even on pace for more than like eight or nine touchdowns when Hunt was back. And he's not somebody that I see being able to get double digits unless he becomes way better inside the five and they continue to just pound the uh, red zone with Chubb and not bring Hunt in which is another threat to Chubb so Chubb is actually somebody I'm not touching at all he's not inside my top 12 running backs and obviously he's always going that that high in drafts so I'm never gonna have I'm not gonna have any Chubb shares whatsoever he was on pace for 64 targets before Kareem Hunt and then once Kareem Hunt came back he was on pace for 34 over a 16 game season that's two targets per game that's really bad both the Browns and the Vikings offenses targeted the running back about seventeen percent of the time, so that probably remains the same um because obviously you have the Vikings coordinator coming over to control the browns offense now so I think i'm I feel pretty confident on my running back projections. I do have Chubb with so many attempts and he's very efficient five yards per carry so I actually have him in the race for leading the league in rushing yards and he's still not going to be that high for me because he's missing the touchdowns in the receiving work. Now we have Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham had 24.5% of the targets last year, which surprised me considering how much he struggled in fantasy. That's a huge target share. I'm expecting a minor increase in the second year with Baker with better success. I only put it up half of a percentage, so I have it at 25% now. I think that's very fair. He should also benefit from more touchdowns. Last year, he had three or four. I definitely expect that number to come up. Then you had Jarvis, who had 26.5% of the target share last year. Due to Odell getting a little bit and the addition of Austin Hooper, I expect Jarvis's targets to come down a little bit. I actually am projecting him also at about 25%. I have him getting about four targets more than Odell, but when I give my summary of stats later on, I'm going to give you guys the same number because I always round by fives. So one of them has 132, one has 128. So I just rounded them both to 130 for you guys. But I don't actually have them projected the exact same, but they're pretty close. And Jarvis will have pretty similar touchdowns to Odell as well and what he did the past two years with the Browns. Then you have Austin Hooper. In case you didn't hear me earlier, last year the most targeted wide receiver or tight end in the Browns offense, not including Odell and Jarvis, had 27 targets. The most targeted wide receiver... And tight end after Phelan and Diggs, since, you know, Stefanski's the coordinator now for their offense, so obviously we want to see, you know, what was his tendency? What did he do? So the most targeted receiver tight end after Phelan and Diggs in the Vikings offense last year had 48 targets. Oh, wow, that's so much better. Not really. Austin Hooper, in no way, shape, or form, gets the targets he needs to be a good fantasy player. I'm still giving him a massive benefit of the doubt, to be honest. I'm giving him 68 targets. Clearly, that is a much higher number than the two target numbers that I just read for you from what the third option was in the Browns' offense and the Vikings' offense last year. I'm giving him more than double that for what the Browns had, and it's still not landing him high enough for me. And he has Njoku to compete with, who is probably a more athletic, dangerous receiving weapon, you could say, not as an uh, efficient one, but one that is, you know poses a bigger threat to uh break off a big chunk play or whatnot so Njoku is definitely somebody that threatens super that's also another worry so here's my projection for the Browns and I know I'm at almost like 20 minutes already here's the thing I told you I am super excited about this division the Browns is probably going to be the quickest team I go through um so you know buckle your seatbelts up because the Steelers Ravens and Bengals are about to be a fun ride but here are the uh projections for the Browns for you. Baker, I have at 19 points per game, 4,100 passing yards, 28 passing touchdowns, which is actually much higher than Fantasy Pro's ECR. So I'm actually higher on Baker, which should make me higher on Hooper, but I just don't see the targets. So if I think Baker's throwing 28 touchdowns and I don't have Jarvis, Odell, or Hooper super high, then I don't see why anybody else should when they have Baker throwing 24 touchdowns. You know what I'm saying? Then we have Nick Chubb. I have him at 14.8 points per game, 1,500 rushing yards, only 20 receptions for 150 yards and nine touchdowns. That nine touchdowns is what kills him. If somehow he finds a way to get to 12 or 13, he will be able to move up into my top 12, um, you know, according to my projections. But that's not something I see happening. Then we have Kareem Hunt, very close to Nick Chubb, actually, 12.6 points per game. And most people don't realize this, but that's how it was last year too. Last year, once Hunt was back, him and Hunt or Chubb and Hunt were very, very close in points per game. Kareem Hunt, I have for six hundred rushing yards to fifteen hundred for Nick Chubb. So that's a huge gap. But like I said, Hunt is getting seventy three percent of the receiving work per last year's numbers. I have him for fifty receptions, five hundred yards, seven touchdowns. Total. Then Jarvis I have for 14.5 points per game, and Odell for 14.5 points per game. Remember I said their targets are not the exact same, but when I round, they both come out to 130. Jarvis I have at 85 receptions to Odell's 80. Then Jarvis I have around 10, uh, 1050 yards, so 1,050. Same thing for Odell, and then I have Odell with one extra touchdown with 8 versus Jarvis's 7. I actually have them back to back in my rankings and i hate when i do this or when it happens this way not that i do that do it purposely i don't like when it happens this way because i feel like some people might see it and think i was being lazy i promise you that is not what happened i don't even know what the points per game or total fantasy points is going to come out to when i'm doing my projections until i'm completely done with the projections then i just plug it in my excel sheet the excel sheet gives me the fantasy points so Uh, That was completely unintentional. That's just how it worked out. And they're back-to-back in my rankings. They're both back-end wide receiver. Actually, they're high-end wide receiver threes, I believe. They're in that 25 to 27 range. And that's the Browns for you. Now we're going to get into the Steelers. You know, I was just pondering something. You guys, at least some of you, may be thinking my enthusiasm is kind of funny. You guys might find it funny, but I am just in love with (laughs) football like and I miss it so much so I completely am just throwing myself into fantasy right now and I've found so many things that I'm going to share with you guys in this next 45 minutes so you know that's why I'm so enthusiastic right now so let's look at the Steelers they pretty much have an identical team to last year defensively aside from the fact that they lost defensive tackle Javon Hargrave which will hurt a bit but they have you know, a lot of good young players that are developing will probably, they're probably going to be fine. Their defense is still going to be very good. And they have Devin Bush, TJ Watt, and Minka Fitzpatrick, which are three very good, young, rangy guys in that defense who I love, especially Devin Bush and TJ Watt. And, you know, and Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, how can you not love them? They're all very, very good. Obviously, we saw the impact that Minka had last year once they added him to that defense they became immediately one of the best defenses in the league now he has an entire offseason granted it is a shortened offseason but he has an entire offseason to you know work into the scheme and everything and figure out the defense even better and possibly come out even stronger next year so the offense is of course getting big ben back as well as new additions eric ebron and chase claypool who they took from notre dame in the second round Claypool will compete with James Washington for the third wide receiver spot. One of the biggest questions for the Steelers this year and how they impact everyone's fantasy lineups is, do they go back to their 600 pass attempts that they were consistently getting to with Big Ben? Or do they follow last year's trend and pass less, focusing on the run game and their defense? Because when we've been seeing Big Ben airing it out 600 times a season, their defense has not really been the steel curtain. Last year, they're starting to get closer to that old-school you know, old school identity that they had with a great defense and a good run game. So it's it's hard to figure out, to parse through and say, you know, are they going to do this or that? Well, of course, as always, I think the answer lies somewhere in between. Their run game was not efficient last year but it was not too bad compared to their receiving game because you thought their run game was inefficient with everyone under four yards per carry and barely any rushing touchdowns going around and all that stuff. Their receiving game was horrible, mainly due to the quarterback play also because they had Juju outside where he's way less efficient. Now they're going to be supposedly moving him back into the slot, which is going to play a big deal in these projections. And so, I think that's a big part of why they ran the ball so much last year. Not only because their defense was good, but even though their run game was bad, it was better than their pass game. So that's part of the reason they ran the ball more um, than what I'm projecting for this coming year. So with Big Ben, that receiving game is going to become more efficient again, aka the reduction in the run game. Their better defense is also going to keep Big Ben under 600 pass attempts. So I have him just under 600. He's still going to air out the ball. He's still going to give a great opportunity for these receivers to help you win some titles this year. So Big Ben is a risky projection, for sure, without a doubt. Like him as a player, not exactly what he's going to help or do for the other uh, players, the receivers and running back, but him and drafting him, that's risky. We still have not seen him without AB. Last year was supposed to be the year we were supposed to figure out All right, is Big Ben going to turn on the Jets? Is Juju going to step in? Is he going to be a beast? Is he going to be a top five receiver? Is this offense still going to click? Is it going to hum? Or was A, B everything? We didn't get to find out because Big Ben got hurt in week two. So it completely ruined everything. And now it makes it even harder to do harder to do the projections for this year, because last year we were trying to do the projections just without AB. Now we're doing it without AB, adding Ebron, adding Claypool, adding Deontay Johnson, and we haven't seen any of these people with Big Ben. So it's very difficult, but also very exciting. So now that he has those guys that I just mentioned, Ebron, Deontay Johnson, Claypool, I think that's going to help. And he's also... Big Ben, of course, is who I'm talking about, better than the quarterbacks that were playing last year, Hodges and Rudolph. So I expect to see um, efficiency bumps all across the board there. I have him at 589 pass attempts. The run game will not be as good as years past, but it will be better due to the more efficient and more threatening pass game to open things up. Juju is supposed to be heading to the slot. That's what we've heard from the Steelers camp. I believe it. It makes sense because that's where he's best. He was ranked by PFF as one of the best slot receivers in football and then they moved him to the outside a lot last year and that obviously hurt him. Now, would he have been better with Big Ben? Of course, but he still would have not cuz you know his yards of separation all that stuff dipped a lot when he moved outside. So, those things are not just the fault of the quarterback. That's really more him and where he's at. So, that's another reason why they're going to be moving him back to the slot. So, That's also going to help with efficiency, Juju being in the best position to succeed. He's going to give, like I said, Big Ben's going to give a great opportunity to the other players in this offense to produce for fantasy. But he lacks rushing upside. He doesn't run the ball at all. And I don't think he's going to be as efficient as we last seen him with AB, although all these new weapons are going to help. I still think while the efficiency is going to be up from last year's, you know, like disaster it's going to be lower than what he was doing when he was on the field last not including the two games last year. So honestly, I don't see him finishing inside the top 12, even though the last time we saw him, he was, I think, the third best quarterback that year per game or something crazy like that. But then we have James Conner. He got 14 attempts per game when he was healthy last season. In 2018, he got 16 attempts per game. I'm expecting it to stay around 14 per game because they have the other options like Jalen Samuels, Benny Snell, and now the newly drafted Anthony McFarland. So he is going to be a decent add in fantasy. I think he's going to be a back-end RB2, and he doesn't have the great receiving work that he did have once upon a time. I think It's going to be a combination of all the new weapons in the receiving game. And like I said, there's more running backs that they can spread the ball around to. And honestly, when Connor's getting hurt as much as he has been, why are they going to just give him so much work? You know, it just doesn't make sense, especially if they're playing good. And I expect them to play good because of how good their defense is and because Big Ben is going to be a massive upgrade. So they're going to be trying to win that division. They're going to be trying to get into the playoffs. Why are they going to put so much work on Connor when they have so many people behind him? That can be pretty good players. Then you have Juju. He was worse than you probably remember. He was worse than I remembered until I found this these stats, but he was very bad last year. He was outscored in fantasy by not only Deontay Johnson, but also James Washington. He was outscored by James Washington last year. Washington did play more games. But it was like two games more. And if you put it by points per game instead of total points, Juju was averaging 9.6 points per game, and James Washington was averaging 9.1. That is atrocious. Luckily, with Deontay Johnson showing out as an outside receiver, Juju's going to get moved back to the slot. That's where he was when A.B. was there. And 2018, he saw 166 targets from Big Ben, which was 24.5% from the slot and i think he jumps right back to that type of looks with a bit more actually because remember ab was getting even more targets than juju did that year juju had 166 targets and ab had like 170 or 180 targets that year well ab's gone now so juju's percentage is going to be higher his target share is going to be higher than what it was when ab was there because yeah deontay johnson is great but he's not going to get as big of a target share as Antonio Brown was getting, he's never going to get, like, 170-something targets. That's ridiculous. You never see that in the NFL. AB was one of those outlier type of guys. And honestly, like, I made the argument when AB was playing at his prime in Pittsburgh, he was the best wide receiver in the NFL. Like, some people would, you know, say Julio was better, Hopkins, um, not Michael Thomas, because Michael Thomas didn't really start breaking out till recently when AB's been kind of just, you know, doing all his stuff. I don't even know, like, what to comment on that, everything that's been going on with AB. Um, Because, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I know what's going on in his life or in his head or anything, you know? Everyone has their own things they deal with. But, sorry, I'm not trying to get on a tangent. Um, Basically, talking about Juju, I think he jumps right back to the type of looks that he had with a bit more now that AB is not there. And that was the only sample size we had with Juju and Big Ben was when AB was there, too. Deontay Johnson is still going to get a lot of targets he's going to be the number two receiver um, and I have him getting around 120 targets he's going to be better with Big Ben throwing him the ball compared to last year and he's also going to have some development coming into year two but here's one thing that worries me and it's not something I've heard from anyone I haven't heard anybody mention this Deontay Johnson there's a chance that he sees number one corners with Juju moving into the slot because we know That number one corners, a lot of the time, maybe not a lot of the time, but most of the time, they don't travel into the slot. Granted, there are the guys that do do that, but many of them will just cover the best outside receiver if they're the type that shadows receivers. And so with Juju in the slot, there's a very good chance Deontay Johnson sees number one cornerbacks, which he was not seeing last year. Denzel Ward, Marcus Peters, or if you don't want to say Marcus Peters as the number one corner for the Ravens and you want to say Jimmy Smith, either one of them are very good. So you have Denzel Ward, Marcus Peters or Jimmy Smith, whichever you prefer, and William Jackson, who's actually pretty underrated as a cornerback and his coverage skills. Those are going to be, those people might be playing against Deontay Johnson six times in the season. That's fairly close to 50% of the time that he's going to have a good corner on him. And obviously I'm not even talking about all the other games that he's going to be in i'm just talking about the divisional games um so you know it's no easy task but he is in a better situation with big ben i think he's gonna see a usage bump from last year with them seeing how good he was for them so he's a guy that i like for sure but if he's staying at like the adp round seven he's probably not gonna be somebody i'm drafting there that's a little high for me Um, i loved it when he was you know in that round nine through eleven range but up here at seven now that's that's pretty ridiculous then you have james washington So you have the Washington versus Claypool debate, and it could go either way, and we're not really going to get answers in this, you know, debate until either we get to preseason, hopefully there is a preseason, but if there's not, we're just going to have to take, you know, reporters from the Steelers camp, we're going to have to take them at their word, and we're just going to have to hope that what they're reporting is what the Steelers are planning on doing, because we really have no way to tell, like, Washington was a second-round pick. Claypool was a second-round pick. My argument would be that Claypool was the more recent second-round pick. So he's probably going to be the guy because if they believed in Washington, why would they draft another second-round receiver when they just had Deontay Johnson break out and they have Juju going back to the slot? So why would they invest their – that was their first pick last year in the draft. Why would they use their very first pick when they could have used it anywhere else on a, a place of, you know, higher need? receiver if they didn't think Claypool was going to be on the field a lot so that's why I think he's probably going to take over that wider three wide receiver three spot but I do think he's going to start out slow and Washington will probably get a lot more snaps and whatnot in the beginning of the season but by the end of the season I think Claypool is going to be that wide receiver three and I think he'll develop decently on the outside but I'm not sure if he's ever going to become a great number two wide receiver in the NFL Um, he's a good complimentary guy but my pre draft process and what i saw off claypool was yeah he's good but like what he did at the combine blew me away because i did not see that athleticism on tape like he's big and whatnot but i did not see 4-4 speed on tape and so i don't know if that's like um if it just didn't he didn't look fast because of his size um which i mean i think i still would have been able to notice that he was that fast i mean there are plenty of big guys dk metcalf and whatnot that you could tell they're fast when they're running So I'm not sure what, if it's like just he doesn't play at full speed all the time or whatnot, Um, but Claypool is not somebody that I had like a huge grade on, so I don't really necessarily think he's going to be a great receiver. I think he'll be decent for fantasy, something you can use every once in a while um, starting next year once he, you know, takes over that role and establishes himself in that offense. But I'm I'm not seeing anything for either Claypool or Washington happening this year that would be um, beneficial to your fantasy team but he has a decent dynasty outlook and he's a, a good pick that you could take at the top of the third round. Um, so that's, a, that's a good, another sleeper for you. There's a couple of those in this, in this uh, division between Claypool and Donovan Peoples-Jones and a couple other guys we'll get to. Then you have Eric Ebron. I was actually low-key super excited for him when he came to the Steelers, but that was before the Claypool pick. The Claypool pick completely destroyed that for me because Claypool is somebody that people even talk about being able to use as uh, being able to be used as a tight end. Although from things that I've heard from certain people that I think, you know, have decent trustworthiness in terms of what they're saying, have told me that they talked to some people at in Pittsburgh and said that uh, Claypool is not going to be used as a tight end he's going to be used as a wide receiver 100%. That's what they drafted him for and they were super stoked when he was on the board in the second round still. So um I don't necessarily think he's going to be taking snaps from Ebron in terms of like playing as tight end, but I think he hurts Ebron's uh, biggest attribute in fantasy, which is touchdown upside, cuz Claypool's a big guy just like Ebron and they obviously have so many other weapons and they also still have Vance McDonald So Claypool is probably going to hurt Ebron's touchdown um, upside, basically, his potential. And that's why I'm just fading Ebron at this point. So here are my projections for the Steelers. Big Ben, I have at 17.3 points per game, 4,300 yards, 26 touchdowns, and basically no rushing. Juju, I have at 16.2 points per game. He is a wide receiver one for me. At the very end, he is wide receiver 11 or 12. Uh, 145 targets, 95 receptions. 1,150 receiving yards, eight touchdowns. Then DJ, uh, DJ, it is DJ, that's his initials, but Deontay Johnson, 12.8 points per game, 120 targets, so 25 less than Juju, 75 tar- uh, receptions, 900 receiving yards, seven touchdowns. Then James Washington, I have a 5.7. Him and Claypool, really I'm just reading off their projections so you can hear them, but they're not, either. either of them are not people I'm you know, thinking I'm going to put in any lineups at all this year, but Washington I have at 5.7 points per game, Claypool at 7.2. Washington I have at 60 targets to Claypool's 70. Washington has 30 receptions to Claypool's 40. James Washington I have for 450 receiving yards and three touchdowns. Claypool I have for 550 and three touchdowns. So pretty similar. Claypool's just going to get slightly more work uh, in terms of targets and receptions and yardage for me. Then Ebron, I have at six points per game, 60 targets, 35 receptions, 400 yards, four touchdowns. And lastly, we have James Conner. I have him at 14.1 points per game. Like I said, he's a back-end wide receiver too for me. 950 rushing yards, 40 receptions, 350 receiving yards, and nine touchdowns. All right, now we can go ahead and get into the Ravens. So they pretty much have the same team defensively um, with a slight boost on defense and the run game. I would say that the loss of defensive tackle Michael Pierce is not going to be felt very much because they did replace him in the third round with defensive tackle Justin Matibuque in the draft this year. And then they also added first-round linebacker, which is a spot that they were desperately needing somebody to step in. That was part of the reason why they struggled against Derrick Henry in the playoffs, but was because they didn't have the linebackers to stop him. They drafted first-round LSU, linebacker patrick queen who i think will excel for this team and he's going to be a great great athlete he's going to be great in coverage great tackler he's just he's overall a very well balanced good linebacker for them and then they also also obviously added jk dobbins that's going to help them in the run game a bit give them another super efficient running back with mark ingram and then they lost hayden Hurst, but i don't think they're going to feel that too much Um, he was not, you know, he was going through injuries and then they have Mark Andrews. So he he was not a huge part of that offense. So I overall think they're going to have a slightly better defense, still a very good run game, but they should see some efficiency regression in the passing game, but they're probably going to pass the ball more as mitigation for that, uh, decreased efficiency. So we're going to get into Lamar Jackson and I'm going to give you a thread that I posted on Twitter. Um, some of you guys listening probably saw this thread. Um, But I'm going to just read it um, at some point because I thought it was super interesting and I would love to share it with you guys. So, Lamar is battling Mahomes as the quarterback one this offseason. And I say this offseason because it's very possible neither of them finish as the quarterback one, but we all expect that one of these two guys is going to be the quarterback one. Don't expect Lamar to run as much. He even said himself that he will be looking to pass the ball a bit more this year than he did last year. I'm not projecting any crazy decreases rushing-wise, but the fact that he even acknowledges that he should probably look to pass a little bit more um, makes me more confident in this. So I'm decreasing his rushing by about 20%. I'm I'm giving him 80% of what he did last year in terms of his rushing production. His passing metrics last year are not sustainable. They were insane. My initial thought is that his 9% touchdown rate probably drops to 5 or 6%, right? But I did more digging and the last half of his season his touchdown rate was 14%. That's unheard of. He got better the second half of the season. So that put me in a wormhole. That when I saw that I said okay, hold on, pause. I need to dig into Lamar Jackson big time right now. So I started doing a bunch of splits, looking at a bunch of things. So I found something super interesting. And I split his first half of the season versus second half. Why? Why did I do that? Well, usually when a quarterback br- quarterback breaks out onto the scene, their efficiency will slowly drop as the defense to see more of them so lamar jackson his rookie season he didn't really do anything he was not viewed as a very dynamic like super threat that defenses have to worry about right well this year was the year that he broke out this year that just ended and so i figured common sense tells me you know he was doing things that teams have not seen him do they weren't ready for it and that first miami game he had five touchdowns like 40 fantasy points like he was insane And he was just back to back to back. Like those first three games, everyone was like, holy crap, Lamar Jackson is a beast. And so I thought that as the season progressed and people saw defensive coordinators saw more of him, they would be able to figure out some game plans, try some strategies, find some blueprints to try and slow him down a little bit, at least. Like Granted, he was still great. We saw how good he was through the whole season. But I thought for sure, for sure his efficiency would have dropped. This is what I found instead. Lamar had a ridiculous 9% touchdown rate, as I said, um, the f- overall for the whole season, 9%. To go along with a 66% completion percentage. Usually when someone's touchdown rate is insanely high, their completion percentage is a little bit lower because they're taking a lot of high-risk throws that are leading to touchdowns, but those are hard throws to complete, so their completion percentage is not as high. But not only did what did he have the 66% completion percentage to go with that touchdown rate, but he only had a 1.5% interception rate. That's great. That is great. I did not realize how good he was at not turning the ball over. 7.8 yards per attempt, insane. And 80 rush yards per game for fantasy, insane over the season. So that was his overall season numbers. His last eight games, because he played 15, so 7 and, and then 8. His last 8 games, I expected to see those averages all lower a bit. Like I said, especially when you look at who he played. In that second half, he played against the Patriots defense, best defense in the league. The 49ers defense, second best defense in the league. The Bills defense, probably a top 6-7 defense in the league. And the Rams defense, and we know they have playmakers. So I thought, oh, once I saw that schedule, oh yeah, for sure, when I do this split, his efficiency has to go down. And obviously, I saw the touchdown rate already, so I thought, okay, that's an anomaly. Everything else is probably lower. So his averages over the last eight games, 13.4% touchdown rate. Completely, completely unheard of. You do not see that anywhere in any season with any quarterback. And... His average was sixty six percent on the season. What was it in these last eight games when he played those four great defenses and teams had more uh more uh film on him sixty nine percent completion percentage. He got better. What else did he get better at? Not turning the ball over from one point five percent interception rate, which is already amazing to point five zero point five percent interception rate and then his yards per attempt was 7.8 on the season. These last eight games, 7.95 yards per attempt. And then he was 80 yards per game on in the, the run game, 79 rushing yards per game in the last eight games. This means that as the season went on, he got better and better despite playing against some of the best defenses and teams getting more tape on him to try and create a game plan since he was not like that at all his rookie year. So what about just the four good defenses? All right, maybe... Maybe like I can explain this. Maybe the four games in that last eight ha- uh those last eight games that stint of like crazy stats that i was saying, maybe those four games that were not against those really good defenses, he was just so insane and that's what made him look so good. But maybe you know he 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 had to struggle. He had to versus these four good defenses. Wrong. This is what I found versus those four defenses. His averages versus just New England, San Francisco, Buffalo and Uh, Los Angeles, the Rams, was a 9.1% touchdown rate, a 1% interception rate, 68% completion, 6.4 yards attempt, so yes, that did go down, but that's still a really good number, and 74 rushing yards per game. And then, here's the kicker, this is what we care about, 26.5 fantasy points per game. 26.5, that's in 4 point per passing touchdown league, so obviously, even a higher number for 6 point per passing touchdown leagues. That's crazy. His average versus the four toughest defenses he faced last year was higher than any quarterback average we've seen in any fantasy season in a long time, except for Mahomes' super crazy year, two years ago. So what's my verdict on this? What was the point of all this? Basically, the only thing defenses figured out late season about Lamar is that he can't be stopped. And then, yes, I know. What about the Tennessee game? What happened there in the playoffs? Well, honestly, Tennessee is very unique. They did something that most teams don't have the makeup to be able to even attempt. What the Titans were able to do versus Lamar was, one, keep him off the field. Because Tennessee has arguably, arguably the best running game in the NFL. The only team that I think rivals them, off the top of my head, would be Dallas. And so they kept him off the field. They also got a lead early in that game. And were able to keep the Ravens trying to catch up. And Lamar, that whole season, was not used to that. Lamar was able to benefit off a great run game, a good defense that allowed them to keep running the ball and him to run the ball and then be able to you know take these play actions, do all of these schematic things that they did because they were able to do so, because they were not trying to just catch up. But the Titans got a lead. They kept him off the field. Then once and wore down their defense, not to mention. And then once Lamar Jackson got on the field, he's looking up at the scoreboard, and he's he's trying to catch up. And you can't really just, when you're in a playoff game and you're down, it's hard to stay committed to the run. Well, once you don't commit to the run and they know you're passing, everything goes out the window. That's not what you were working with the entire season. But here's the good thing that we have to look forward to. Nobody really has a blueprint like Tennessee to be able to do that to the Ravens. Plus, the Ravens added Patrick Queen now. And the fact that they were stopped that way in the playoffs, and that ended their Super Bowl dreams last year, I'm sure that all offseason, they have been working game plans for something just like that, for a situation just like that. So they're probably more prepared for something like that, and he probably won't struggle as much. And that was the only game he struggled in all season. So I don't expect that one outlier to just carry over, no, now everyone knows how to stop him. Not really. Like, And even if that is how you stop him, most teams can't even do that in the first place. So that was my Lamar Jackson rant. Well, part of it. That was the thread. So last year, Lamar Jackson paced for 427 pass attempts. I struggle protecting him because every single fiber of my being says that last year was unsustainable. But as I just explained to you guys, he was better and better as the season went on. So it's kind of hard to decrease him too much. Like, like I said, I wanted to move him, his touchdown rate, for example, from nine to about five or six, I'm moving it to about seven and a half, eight, because he was even better and better and better. So it's, it's hard to, to project that much. And it feels like insane, but I mean, I have to, like, that's what my process is telling me to do. And Last year, I went against my process, specifically with Lamar Jackson. Last year, I had him projected for about 1,150 rushing yards. It put him inside my top five quarterbacks. And I was like, there's no way. The Fantasy Pro ECR is at like quarterback 12 right now. Um, and I was just, honestly, like, I was worried that if I planted my flag on Lamar Jackson being that good and he wasn't, um, people were just going to come at me for it. And you know what? I'm done with that. I don't care about that stuff anymore. I'm going to trust my process because if I did so last year, I would be able to tout Lamar Jackson right now, but I can't because I looked at it and felt uncomfortable with the fact that I was so different on him and we hadn't seen him like granted. I've been different and I've had strong opinions and had people completely different from ADP because I trust myself. But in that one specific situation, because we only saw Lamar Jackson for half a season and we hadn't really seen him be a prolific passer in college, um, a lot of it was just, you know, people wide open and whatnot. I was kind of worried that, you know, oh, that's not going to happen. And is somebody really going to run for 1,200 yards? Like a quarterback? Like we've never seen that before. Michael Vick was the last person to do anything like that. And he was an outlier in all of the NFL. Like it was just hard for me. And so I went, up, went against my process and kind of just knocked down his numbers um and moved him all the way to like my QB like fourteen because of it, so I'm just gonna trust my process, and if it bites me in the butt, it bites me in the butt, but at least I can feel confident that I didn't change anything because of anybody else's opinion but my own. Granted, man, I keep saying that word a lot, huh? It's probably getting annoying for you guys. Um, <laughs> But um, sometimes, you know, people are able to show me things that I didn't notice, and of course, I'll change my opinion. I'm not saying that I'm just gonna put up a brick wall and do my own thing, but I'm not gonna let opinions with no basis or foundation of stats, or whatever that I agree with, change my opinion. Like, I have to actually see the their process and understand their process and agree with their process for it to change anything that I think. So, anyways, continuing. Um, so, what I found, I am projecting him to be pretty insane, again. And the eight-game stint that I elaborated on, Lamar was on pace for 372 attempts. Um, obviously, that's going to go up because I'm not going to project him at a 13.5% touchdown rate. And um, all of those things are going to basically cause him to throw the ball more because of slightly less efficiency and whatnot, which is better for the receivers. It gives them a better chance. So now we're going to get into everyone else. But basically everything that I just said about Lamar Jackson is to help you feel confident that he will be elite. Like, he, unless he gets hurt, which is the one thing, the one knock against Lamar Jackson at this point – For me, is that what if he gets hurt? Um, But if you're willing to just put that to the side, I don't see how he's not the number one or number two quarterback this year. And the only way he's the number two quarterback is if Mahomes ends up throwing for like another 48 to 55 touchdowns. Um, So yeah, he's elite. He's almost in his own tier, but he ends up being in the tier with Mahomes because of his risk of injury. Then we have Ingram and Dobbins. Ingram was madly effective last year, so he's probably still going to be the leader in that backfield. It's hard for J.K. Dobbins to be better than Ingram was last year because Ingram was very good, 5 yards or 5.1 yards per carry. I do project Ingram to be a tad bit worse um, in terms of efficiency in the offense um, because of his age kicking in a little bit and also just because of how good he was. Like It's hard to be that good over and over and over Then we have J.K. Dobbins, who I also expect to be very efficient. And it's pretty easy to be efficient in that offense with all the threats that they have. But J.K. is also a very good um, good running back. So I think the split is probably going to be near. And remember, I was talking about this earlier with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Usually when you have a split backfield, the split is usually around 55-45 or 60-40. That's what I'm projecting here with J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram actually did not really get that much carries last year. He was so good in fantasy because of his touchdowns. So I have Mark Ingram getting 53% of the carries to 47% in J.K. Dobbins' direction. So Ingram also not only is going to lead slightly in carries, but I also project him to lead Dobbins in receiving. But this will also be pretty close. The running backs probably siphon some targets on the table that were left from Hayden Hurst. So I think that the running backs are gonna get more involved. You're not just gonna have the same target share to the running backs this uh, this year as you saw last year, because they just added another really good running back. It's not like you're gonna take the same number and just split it up. When they lost Hayden Hurst, that works out perfectly, because you can give some of that target share over to those running backs, which would make sense, because now they have two great running backs, and they're not gonna just erase Mark, erase Mark Ingram or not use J.K. Dobbins, you know, they wanna use both. And they took J.K. Dobbins high, so I expect them to do so this year. So, for fantasy, I'm not super high on either one of them, because Lamar Jackson is the true leading rusher in that offense. He had more rushing yards than Mark Ingram did last year. And in case you didn't know that, there's a fun fact for you. So, I'm not super high on them, but I do like J.K. Dobbins' dynasty potential when Ingram is gone to just become an elite running back. For sure, especially if they continue to be as efficient as they are and Lamar Jackson can stay healthy for a long time in his career that offense is going to be insufferable for defenses to deal with then you have Mark Andrews he had a 24.5 percent target share last year I would give him a little bit of Hayden Hurst's targets and move him up from 24.5 percent to 26 percent Mark Andrews is one of only two notable receivers in this very run heavy offense the other one obviously Marquise Brown Last year, he had an 18.5% target share. I expect a bump to about 20% this year. He's not just a deep threat, like some people seem to think. A lot of times, we get trapped in the mindset of, this receiver's super fast, so all he does is run deep routes. That's not true. Marquise Brown is great all over the field. He runs good slants, he runs good screens, he runs good outs, comebacks. You know, he's a very good receiver. He's actually a good route runner, he's always open. So. He is not that prototypical like Deshaun Jackson, you know? So he's better than what you think, basically, is what I'm saying. And then he actually had one of the better reception perceptions that Matt Harmon does, which is great work. You guys should check that out if you never look at that. And then he has good boom potential. So I'm actually, unfortunately, just because of the fact that the the Ravens don't pass the ball enough, I'm kind of low on Marquise Brown, but I do recognize the fact that because of his boom potential, he could end up being like a top 20 receiver or a top 15 receiver. It's very, very possible, especially if, like I said, I'm bumping him up from 18.5% to 20. If he ends up with like a 25% target share, which is very possible in this offense because it's really him, Andrews, the running backs, and then everyone else is like getting sprinkled targets. You know, Willie Sneed leads the sprinkling of targets, but like nobody else really gets a significant portion, which is why there's no point to even project um, specifically or talk about anybody else. So Marquise is the last one I have to talk about. Um, so it's possible that Marquise ends up being really good, but I don't expect that to happen this year. I think that they're going to just keep him around what they were doing last year, but he's a little bit healthier and he's going to be a little bit better. And so I think that he's going to get some more involvement. But I have him actually outside of my top 30 receivers. And like I said, it's nothing against him or Lamar or anything like that. It's just about the fact that they don't pass the ball a lot at all. Like I told you, um, Lamar Jackson was on pace for 427 attempts. And if you took his last eight games when he was super insanely good, he was on pace for 380-something. So that's not an offense that passes the ball enough to have a great receiver. So here are my projections. the T for you. Lamar Jackson, 25.6 points per game, about 3,500 passing yards, 32 touchdowns, 1,050 rushing yards, six touchdowns. Then Marquise Brown, I have at 11.2 points per game, 90 uh, targets, 55 receptions, 750 receiving yards, eight touchdowns. Mark Andrews at 14.3 points per game, 115 targets, 75 receptions, 1,000 yards, nine touchdowns. Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins, I have at 12.7 points per game for Ingram, 10.1 for Dobbins, 850 yards for Ingram, 750 for Dobbins, 35 receptions Ingram, 25 receptions Dobbins, 250 yards and then 200 yards, and then 10 touchdowns for Ingram, 7 touchdowns for Dobbins. So they are both pretty close, but because of it, they kind of hurt each other. And it's really, if Lamar Jackson wasn't running the ball as much as he he did, then the Ingram Dobbins would be very similar to the Ingram, Ingram Camara that we saw in New Orleans. But you're losing so much of those touches to Lamar in the run game. So that's what ends up hurting them so much. So that's the Ravens for you. And now we're gonna get into the team I purposely left for last because there are so many interesting players. And honestly, I'm just super excited to see this team, the Cincinnati Bengals. All right, we made it. Last team to project, then my projections are done, got my rankings locked in. Obviously, they're going to change throughout the offseason, and I'm going to make like my big wave of changes right before the season starts in like that third week of preseason. If they bring it to two weeks, then probably the end of the first week of preseason, once we have like the most information, basically. But <clears throat> we're going to get into the Bengals. So, obviously, everyone knows they drafted Joe Burrow, who arguably had the best college season we've ever seen for a quarterback. He's got two new starters on the offensive line compared to the what the quarterbacks in Cincinnati were dealing with last year. He's got first-round pick Jonah Williams from last year, left tackle. He's got him back from injury because he didn't play at all last year. And then they also signed Xavier Suafilo from Dallas, who, I mean, honestly, the jury's kind of still out on him. We don't know if he's going to be great yet um, or if he's even going to be that good, but he's probably not going to be worse than what they had starting there last year. So they have two new starters on the O-line. Then they also have A.J. Green, who's back, and that's great for the whole offense. That's going to make the run game easier, both the offensive line additions and A.J. Green being back. It's also going to open up Boyd from tough coverage. And then they drafted my boy, T. Higgins, who I love for Dynasty. I have to make sure I look up when I say that so I don't blast your ears. But I love T. Higgins for Dynasty. And then their defense made a few ads, but it still looks to be super bad. So I still expect a lot of pass attempts. They didn't have any like serious um, ads to their defense. So let's talk about Burrow. He has very good rushing ability. He ran for about three hundred seventy five yards both seasons at LSU. That's twenty seven um rushing yards per game. I have him projected at seventeen point five rushing yards per game in the NFL. I think he's gonna be asked to stay in the pocket a bit more, especially with the wide receiver cast he has. Yes, he had a great one <laughs> sorry, he had a great one in um LSU, but usually People that are running in college, they don't run as much in the NFL. They usually run a bit, little bit less. So I'm going to apply that same pattern here to Joe Burrow. So he had 12 rushing touchdowns in 28 games. That's per 16 games, 7 rushing touchdowns. So he averaged per season, like in terms of an NFL season, length of 16 games, 7 rushing touchdowns each year. I have not projected at 4. I think my rushing yardage and rushing totals for him are pretty, like, on they're on the safe side for sure. You can say they're on the safe side because I have him at around two hundred eighty. He could easily run for like what Minshew did and get that four hundred number, and I have him for four touchdowns. But he might run in five or six. Like he could do like what Josh Allen does. Um. So I have him on the safe side of rushing. He's a great mental processor and he goes through his reads well. He was surrounded by talent at LSU, but I could argue the same for his situation in Cincy. Minus the O-line. And this is something I don't hear anybody talking about. Everyone says, Joe Burrow went to the worst place for him. Joe Burrow is going to struggle so much. Cincinnati is so bad. Like, he just went from a five-star, like, perfect situation with all the weapons he had and yada, 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 yada to this horrible situation in Cincinnati. I'm sorry. Does nobody realize that A.J. Green is... In Cincinnati, and Tyler Boyd, who's one of the most efficient slot receivers in the NFL, is in Cincinnati. And they just added T. Higgins, who I compare to Brandon Marshall, is in Cincinnati. They have one of the most well rounded running backs who manages to produce despite being on a bad team with bad quarterback play and bad offensive line play the last three years. And Joe Mixon. Oh, my bad. Uh, I didn't realize that nobody notices that because that's ridiculous. Like, you guys are acting. Not you guys listening, but so many people are acting like Cincinnati. Like, he just went to uh, the Dolphins last year. Like, the last year situation in Dolph- in uh, Miami. Or, like, he's with, you know, you know what I'm saying. Like, he's not in a horrible situation. He has mad weapons. A.J. Green, T. Higgins, because I believe in T. Higgins, and we're going to get into that. Trust me, we will get into that. But T. Higgins, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, and then John Ross taking off the top of the defense. And Auden Tate, who is uh, really good, way better than people realize um, because of the bad quarterback play last year. And he didn't really get insane amount of targets. I think he had like 80 last year. Um, all of those guys, that's probably, honestly, like after we see T. Higgins in the NFL, I think we're going to be talking about his receiving core if AJ stays healthy as one of the top five or eight receiving cores in the league. Their offensive line is not going to be great, but it's not going to be as bad as last year. And then they have Joe Mixon, who's amazing. So he actually has a good situation. Like, people don't realize it. Like, he he's not in that bad of a situation. And last year, the head coach, it was his rookie year, just like just like Cliff Kingsbury. Like, people are coming around and Cliff Kingsbury being better this year because it's his second year um, as a coach. Okay, yeah, he it's his second year in the NFL as well. And Zach Taylor was in the NFL with the Rams, but he he was never a head coach before. He was basically a rookie coach last year. And you're telling me that you think their offense is just going to be just as bad? No, of course he's going to figure things out. He's going to develop a little bit and he's going to have a better quarterback now. Like I said, all the weapons, the O-line, like it's a very different situation. This is a very different Bengals team we're dealing with, in my opinion, this year offensively defensively they're still going to be horrible which is actually better for the offense in terms of fantasy production because they're going to have to pass a lot which we'll talk about as well so with all that said not only do I like this year for Burrow and that passing attempt but I think they have a bright future too because Higgins and either Auden Tate or John Ross will be the two outside receivers in the future and then you still have Boyd in the slot that's a and mixing in the backfield that's a pretty good cast for Burrow for his future so I like They're all the dynasty outlook for these guys, too. So the Bengals' defense is going to be horrible again. This is going to lead to a very high-volume pass attack, and that is what you need to remember. That is the basis of all of these projections. The Bengals passed 616 times last year. That was among the top teams in the NFL. 616 times is a lot. That's, if my math off the top of my head is correct, about 40 times per game. That is so much. And I'm not even projecting them to throw that much. And I just I still have them throwing among the most in the league. So they have the better O-line, the better weapons. They're going to have a horrible defense. This is going to be a better Bengals team without a doubt. If you combine the weapons that he has with how much he's going to be throwing the ball, he has a legitimate shot to break the rookie passing touchdown record. And guess what? Not only is it a hot take for me to say this, but I have it projected this way. He's going to do it. You heard it here first. Joe Burrow is going to break the rookie passing touchdown record. And before you think, oh, this guy's crazy. He's off his rocker. Let me give you a few things. Baker Mayfield holds that record right now at 27. 27 passing touchdowns is the rookie record. He did that in 13 games off 486 pass attempts. The Bengals passed the ball 616 times last year, and their defense is not going to be better. And if it is better, it's not going to be 140 pass attempts better. So at at minimum, the Bengals are going to pass the ball like 570 times, at minimum. So you're giving Joe Burrow almost 100 pass attempts minimum more than baker got to break baker's record and baker didn't have odell that year odell has only been in um cleveland for one year it's easy to forget that because like of all the drama it seems like he's been there longer but he hasn't when baker did that it was just jarvis he had jarvis and a bunch of nobodies burrow has aj green t higgins all the guys that i've been talking about also the browns did not have a great offensive line just like the Bengals. so Honestly, Burrow is in a better situation than Baker was. He's going to pass the ball way more than Baker did. And Burrow was a better prospect coming out of college than Baker was as well. So all of those things point at Burrow. This guy is going to do it. It's going to happen, and you heard it here first. Note. This is something of note. And I'm going to tell you, Why I do this, I'm going to give you my note now and my note number two. Note number one, I redid Burrow's projections three times because each time he came out way too high. I did this to Lamar last year. I told you about this. Uh, Like, well, for you guys, probably just like, what, we're 10 minutes in? So 10 minutes ago, 10 minutes into the Bengals. I did this about... Um, Lamar Jackson last year, and it bit me in the butt. Like I said, I had him as, like, my QB5, inside my QB5 uh, territory, and I ended up moving him back because it it looked, you know, too high for me. Well, that was also based off, like, Fantasy Pros, ECR, and stuff, and I was just kind of worried of how far I was from everybody else, and just specifically because, like, Lamar didn't have a, a track record to look at for me to, like, be super solid in those projections. But with Burrow, it's not has nothing to do with anybody else it's just with myself within myself the first time i projected him he was in my qb3 and i and I, I know that that's projecting him at his ceiling i'm not trying to project anybody ever at their ceiling you don't ever want to project someone at their ceiling especially when you're drafting off of those rankings because then you're going to have to be like oh did i put this person at my ceiling And then the person who's ranked right behind him is like, I projected him average, so I should take him because, you know, his ceiling is obviously higher. The other guy is one spot above him, and I have him at his ceiling. So you never, ever, 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 if you guys ever do your own projections or anything, never project somebody at their ceiling. So I felt like that was Burrow's ceiling. So then I reprojected him a second time. Then he was my QB5, and I was like, all right, let me relook at this a third time and see if... If I'm like, for some reason, I'm not an LSU fan. I'm not a Bengals fan. Like, there's no reason that I should be biased. So I'm like, there. Is, let me just check. Is there anything that I can change that will make him be where I think he will be without having pr- him projected at his ceiling? And so I just tweaked a little bit, a little bit of things. Like, completion percentage, a little bit. Yards per completion, a little bit. Touchdown rate, a little bit. You know, just a little like 5% knocks here and there, and now he is my QB8. So the whole reason I said that is because that's my way of saying Joe Burrow has a humongous ceiling because he's going to throw among probably the top five in terms of past attempts this season, plus he has a great rushing, uh, great rushing upside. And so honestly, it's possible he throws for 4,700 yards and rushes for 400 yards, But guess what? I only have him projected at around 4,500 yards and 280 rushing yards. But it's very possible. It's all about volume. And here's the thing with Burrow, too. Last year, Andy Dalton had a 60% completion percentage, 11.1 yards per completion, and a 3% touchdown rate. Now, the situation, like I said, completely different Bengals team. Andy Dalton, that was his numbers with Tyler Boyd. And then John Ross and Auden Tate, and a bad O-line. Now the O-line is better, so automatically the O-line is better. Okay, completion percentage, up. Yards per completion, up. Touchdown rate, up. Then you add A.J. Green. Oh yeah, okay, completion percentage, up more. Yards per completion, up more. Touchdown rate, up more. Add T. T. Higgins, same thing. And then Joe Burrow, who I'm pretty sure we can all agree, or like 80% of us can agree, that Joe Burrow is going to be better than Andy Dalton from the start from what we've seen from Dalton these past few years, maybe not Dalton's prime because he definitely had some good years, but the the Andy Dalton we've seen for the last two or three years, Burrow's going to be that good at least as a rookie, if not better. So all of those point to Joe Burrow should have better numbers than what Dalton was dealing with last year in a much worse situation. And I barely, barely projected Burrow to have better numbers than that. I projected Burrow, remember Dalton had 60% completion, I projected burrow at 61.5 percent dalton's 11.1 yards per completion i moved to 12.1 for burrow his touchdown rate i have at 4.9 yes dalton was at three last year but that was without the o-line without aj green without um t higgins and also andy dalton's two years before that were above five percent so i think it's very possible and honestly, I, like, I feel very comfortable about giving a 4.9 touchdown rate to Joe Burrow. And just in case that's not enough stats for you um, and enough like thought process for you, Baker Mayfield had better numbers in pretty much all of those categories his rookie year in a worse situation. So Joe Burrow can definitely do almost what Baker did in a better situation, in my opinion. And the pass attempts is what just drives his fantasy value right now. Okay, so how was Burrow not better? Basically is what I'm saying to, to Andy Dalton last year. And with as much as he's going to pass the ball, he's going to be great. So now with Burrow out the way, let's get into Tyler Boyd. Also, somebody I really love. Honestly, I'm all in on this offense. It might bite me in the butt, but I don't think, I don't think so. I think I'm going to be looking back at this and saying, guys, this was my stance and it paid off. And I hope you guys listen to me. So that that's where I'm, I'm feeling right now about the Bengals. Tyler Boyd. He's going to be Justin Burrows. Uh, I said Justin Burrows. Um, Shoot, Joe Burrows, Justin Jefferson. He's going to play that Justin Jefferson role. Justin Jefferson benefited so much in the slot from Joe Burrow and caught 18 touchdowns from Joe Burrow. Over the last two years, Tyler Boyd had a 23.5% target share. I think he leads this team in targets. Burrow loves the slot. Boyd has been a high-targeted guy the past couple years, and especially last year was Zach Taylor. I think... Tyler Boyd is going to be in that 24% uh, target range. Okay, well, what about the new additions? What about, you know, AJ and T Higgins? Like, I was just talking about all these additions, so why would Boyd not get hurt by it? Well, Boyd is the only slot guy. Auden Tate's not a slot guy. John Ross, I mean, yeah, you can deploy him in the slot, but he's not a slot guy, really. He's not nearly as good as Boyd is. And then A.J. Green, outside receiver. T. Higgins, outside receiver. So nobody's going to take away that role from Boyd. Boyd is going to be the slot guy. He's going to get that same work. Okay, everyone else is going to affect each other on the outside. Nobody's going to be hurting Boyd. Boyd is going to have the same role, right? And not only that, but when A.J. Green was on the field in years past with Tyler Boyd, guess what? Tyler Boyd was even better in fantasy because defenses weren't focusing on Tyler Boyd as much. They had to worry about AJ. So Tyler Boyd's uh, completion percentage was higher. He was getting easier catch- catches and his yards per route were higher and his yards per reception were higher. All of that was higher because the defense had other places that they needed to look at too. So now you have A.J. and T, T. Higgins. Boyd is going to be madly efficient, and he's going to have a great target share. And that offense is throwing the ball 600 times uh, this season, around 600 times. So Tyler Boyd is set up to be amazing, amazing this year. Okay, last year he was at like 14.5 points per game. I only have him projected 3.5 points per game more than that. No, two, 2.5 about three points per game more than that this year. And there's so many reasons that leads to that three points per game more, and that puts him at around 17 points per game, 17.5 points per game. And he is, dare I say, and most of you guys, some of you guys might be like, oh, I'm turning this podcast off. Well, guess what? Tyler Boyd is my wide receiver seven right now. Yep, that's right. He is. And obviously I wouldn't draft him there, but when you're drafting him as like the wide receiver 30 off the board – and I have him at wide receiver seven, you're still gonna be happy if he finishes as wide receiver 15. And honestly, I don't see how he finishes worse than wide receiver 15. I'm very confident he's gonna be wide receiver 15 or better if he stays healthy the whole time and Joe Burrow stays healthy the whole time. You know, like barring injury, I think like wide receiver 15 is Tyler Boyd's floor. So in 2018, specifically, we're gonna get into some good stuff right here. Um but short and quick, you know i don't want to drag this out any longer. This is probably my longest podcast ever already um well worth it in my opinion, hopefully guys you think so too. um but in twenty eighteen when a j was healthy for nine games, Tyler Boyd averaged a career high seventy four percent catch rate, thirteen point two yards per reception. I have him around those numbers too, because not only do you have a j back but you also have t Higgins, a better quarterback, and a better O-line. So even if A.J. is not to the same elite level, which I'm not projecting that he has been um, the last time he was on the field, because you know he's been absent from the game for a year and a half, I still think that how boy's going to be around those same efficiency averages. And that makes him, like I said, my wide receiver seven. Then we have A.J. Green. He's a huge risk, but he has a decent payoff possibility in drafts. I won't be drafting him, mainly because they drafted Higgins, Higgins is a very similar receiver to A.J. Um, and, you know, like I said, his my comp for um, T. Higgins, which we will get into um, very much so with Higgins, because I love Higgins, um, was Brandon Marshall. And Brandon Marshall and A.J. are not very different from each other. So he's very much like A.J. And it's kind of weird because it's almost like, like we do when we draft running back handcuffs. It's almost like the Bengals drafted A.J. Green's handcuff. And I think AJ's still good, but almost two years removed from playing and being 31 now probably reduces his efficiency and his impact and thus his target share. So last time he played, he was at 24.5% target share with Higgins at his heels and taking some of those receptions away because I think Higgins has the chance to be just as good as AJ or close to in terms of efficiency this year. Um, Since Higgins is at his heels, I think... He's going to take some of those targets away from A.J. Have A.J. projected at a 20% target share. Then we have T. Higgins. I was higher on T. Higgins compared to most people in the pre-draft process, and I love, wait, hold on, let me look up so I can say it louder, love this landing spot. In my evaluation of Higgins, I compared him to Brandon Marshall, like I said a million times, and I'm going to say it a couple more times so you guys don't forget. This will take a second, what I'm about to do, But let me read you a section. So I'm actually going to read it. Um, I'm going to read you a section of what I wrote about T. Higgins in my pre-draft evaluation of him. All right? So here it is. T. Higgins can catch anything and everything. Back shoulder fades. Sliding grabs. High pointing the ball in traffic. Leaping over a defender to save a badly thrown ball that would be an interception. And turning it into a highlight. Sideline toe taps. One-handed snags. Shall I continue? He has good footwork. And a nice jab step, both before the catch and after, to make defenders miss. He has ideal size, and once he packs some more muscle on the frame, will be one of the Julio slash AJ slash Evans type of wide receiver bodies. How funny is that? I said he has that AJ body type, and that's the team he ends up on. He is, dare I say, elite with contested catches. 50-50 50-50 balls, and body contortions and control. Strength is already an attribute of his, but he is lean, so that could become even greater as he packs on muscle. You can argue his hands are just as good or better than CeeDee Lamb's, making him top two in that department in this receiver class. He has the W.O.W. WOW factor, and the more of him you watch, the more you will like. He high points the ball and mosses defenders regularly. He has tremendous ball tracking skills and adjusts to the course of the ball better than just about anyone. His catch radius is also huge and makes up for a lot of bad passes. After the catch, he plays strong and will not shy away from contact. He has a decent array of moves to make you miss, but he is more of a stiff arm and run-through tackles kind of guy. That's what I wrote for T. Higgins. And I believe every word of it, obviously, because I wrote it. Um, and that's some premium content right there. Uh, um, But yeah, I love the guy. I love the guy, and he will grow with Burrow. If something happens to AJ this year, he will probably burst onto the scene, and this gives him huge upside for this season as well. Even with AJ on the field, I still think he holds a good role and can be relevant in fantasy. For Dynasty, he is one of my favorite people to draft. When you're getting him as like the seventh receiver off the board. And he has Brandon Marshall potential, which I'm, like I said, I'm going to keep drilling into your head. Um, That's amazing. Amazing. And he's with Burrow, who's a super good quarterback, or at least we're hoping he's going to be a super good quarterback. They're tied together. They're growing together as rookies. Like that's going to be a sick bond. Like that's going to be so fun to watch. I cannot watch or wait. I cannot wait to watch the Bengals. Like I'm very excited to watch them. And I'm not even a Bengals fan, but it's going to be a fun season, guys. It really is. Hopefully it happens um, because whew, I cannot wait. Then we have John Ross. John Ross was is probably going to be relegated to the outside where he can be brought in occasionally for deep routes or screens, but he's going to be nothing more than a role player at this point. He's going to help Burrow and the offense with his speed, but for his own sake, um, in terms of playing him, I don't think he's somebody you're going to be wanting to touch. Um, I'm never going to play him except in possibly DFS as like a random dart throw as one of the cheapest options when I just need some, you know, juice in the lineup or, you know, just something to differentiate my lineup from others so I have a better chance to win uh, money and whatnot in DFS, but in season long and stuff like that, I'm not touching John Ross. Then we have Joe Mixon. He was among the top backs in the league in carry count. He had 278 attempts last year. That's a lot. The better offense is going to help uh, The team have more running opportunities because they're going to be able to sustain drives and have more rushing attempts. But I'm not sure they're going to increase Mixon's workload because it was already so much last year. So I have him around the same workload, but I do have his efficiency higher. I have him with a higher yards per carry because the offense is going to be better. The offensive line is going to be better. They're not going to be able to stack the box as much because they have so many receivers that they have to cover and worry about. And, you know, Burrow is going to be a great uh quarterback in terms of distributing the ball. So, it's just going to make everything easier. All the rushing lanes are going to be more open for Mixon. So, I have him projected for 4.8 yards per carry. Last year he had 4.1, the year before that in a very similar situation as last year, just um AJ was on the field half the year and maybe their O-line was a tiny bit better, but not really. Um he had 4.9. So, I think 4.8 is pretty reasonable considering the quarterback, O-line and wide receivers are all better than 2018 and we'll take pressure off Nixon. So here are my projections. Now, Burrow is my QB8, 21.6 points per game, 4,400 passing yards because, remember, he's passing so much. I only have his completion percentage at 61.5%. So it's not like I think he's going to be some crazy efficient guy as a rookie. No, 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 no. I have him passing the ball so much that he's basically not going to be – like somebody on Twitter said, okay, so you're basically saying Burrow is going to be – or have the most prolific rookie season for a quarterback ever. I said, in terms of efficiency, no, not even close. In terms of stat stuffing, yes, I will say that. Because we have very rarely seen a quarterback come in their rookie season and throw the ball that much, while also having this good of a a supporting cast. Like, Luck threw a lot in his rookie season, and he was pretty good, but his supporting cast was not as good as what Joe Burrow's walking into. And then we have Tyler Boyd. I have him at 17.2 points per game, 140 targets, 105 receptions, 1,300 yards, seven touchdowns. That makes him my wide receiver seven, and I have him projected for 140 targets, seven touchdowns. He could easily end up with 150 targets, and at worst, probably 135. So I'm pretty safe with his target count. Then I have him at seven touchdowns. I think at worst, he's getting five. And at best, he could get 9 or 10. So I think that's pretty mainstream average. I'm not projecting him at his ceiling. Um, So I I feel pretty comfortable with my Boyd projection. And like I said, you don't have to pay up for Boyd. Like you're getting him as your wide receiver 3 or wide receiver 4, and he holds wide receiver 1 upside, in my opinion. And that's where I have him ranked, like I said. So Boyd is one of my favorites to draft. And I'm probably going to be writing an article about him, too, um, which you guys can look out for. But then we have A.J. Green, 13 points per game, 120 targets, 70 receptions, 950 yards, 7 touchdowns. Higgins, I have it, 11 points per game, 20 targets less than A.J. Green, which, look, remember, I said I don't think A.J. Green's elite anymore. I still think he's going to be really good. But that's part of the reason I have him with 120 targets to Higgins 100. If you want to take 20 targets away from Higgins and put Higgins at 80 and give 20 to Green and put Green at 140 targets, similar to Tyler Boyd, you can do that. That's fine. That's your prerogative. And I I think that that could happen too. It's kind of hard to, you know, figure out the Green versus Higgins part because Green hasn't been on the field in forever and we haven't seen Higgins in the NFL yet. So we're not really sure with how that's going to work out. But Nonetheless, I have Higgins at 100 targets, 55 receptions, 850 yards, 6 touchdowns. He's a very good end zone threat, so I do think he's going to have a decent amount of touchdowns compared to the rest of this rookie class. Him and Pittman are probably... I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. Um, Judy's not. Lamb, maybe, but there's just so many weapons there. Um... Yeah, it's probably going to be either Higgins or Pittman that lead this receiver group. Maybe Justin Jefferson, but I don't know. The Vikings receivers, even like Diggs and Thielen, were never high touchdown guys. So I think Higgins or Pittman have a good chance to lead this receiver group in touchdowns. Then John Ross, I have, like I said, not touching him, but here's my projection for him anyways. 5.7 points per game, 70 targets, 30 receptions, 500 yards, two touchdowns. And then Joe Mixon's my RB11 because he's not getting used as much in the passing game. If he does get more passing work, if they finally realize how good he is and give him that uptick in passes that we all want them to do, then he could be like the RB5. But I have him at 16.8 points per game, 1,300 rushing yards, 50 receptions, 350 uh, receiving yards, and 10 touchdowns. Actually, one second. Let me just check and make sure it's 50 receptions, not 50 targets, because I'm not sure about that but I can pull it up real quick. All right, Joe Mixon, I have for exactly. Yeah, it's 50 targets. So sorry, 40 receptions for 350 yards and 10 total touchdowns. So that's my Joe Mixon projection that finishes out the Bengals that finishes out all of our projections. Wow. 30 minutes on the Bengals. I told you this is going to be one of the longest podcasts. Um, But yeah, I mean, I love it. I love it. If if the Bengals are able to get the volume that I'm projecting, which I think is very, very possible, they're going to be amazing. And you guys are, you know, gonna. if you guys take the, the shots on Tyler Boyd and Joe Burrow, you guys are going to benefit immensely from it, I think. And they're, it's really like you can't lose. You can't lose with these guys like Tyler Boyd, like all of the Bengals because everyone just looks at that offense and thinks it's bad. Like, it's not going to be bad. Even if it's, like, not even efficient, they're going to have to throw the ball so much to try and stay in games like they did last year. Like, it's not going to be bad for fantasy, you know? Like, we could see a very similar, like, what the Bucs were dealing with for such a long time when they had a bad defense and Jameis was just throwing the ball ridiculously to try and stay in games and, like, everyone loved all the Bucs players. That's basically what the Bengals are this year. Nobody realizes it. The Bucs had a horrible offensive line, too. Like, it's very, very similar. So, yeah. Basically, draft your Bengals because I think it's going to work out good. I think the only one that's not a value at ADP is Mixon, but he has the potential to outperform ADP. So, he's not a bad pick, necessarily. Um, he's just not, like, a super good value. And that's it. And now, from now on, I'll be able to, you know, come up with very unique podcasts, Hopefully. Very unique podcast ideas. Obviously, I'll have the classics. I'll have mock drafts. I'll have sleepers, busts, ranking stuff, all that stuff. Um, I'm probably going to have a podcast coming out on my VORP project, which is value over replacement. Um, It's basically how I decide, like I said earlier, um, how to draft, like which position to draft, because it gives you a good sense of, you know, if I draft this running back on average, he's going to get me three points more per week versus my opponent's running back. But if I take this receiver right now, this receiver is going to help me only you know, one and a half points per week versus my opponent's average receiver in that slot in the matchup. So it, it helps you make a decision. It's pretty cool. Um, So we'll get into stuff like that. And I'll have, try and come up with like some more unique stuff too. Um, Cause obviously, you know, I want to differentiate myself. Um, So we're going to do stuff like that too. But that's it. Thank you guys for listening. If you made it to this point, thank you. Thank you. Because I know time is valuable time is everything and this was the longest podcast ever um it's probably longer than most any fantasy podcast honestly it's like ridiculous um but i mean i enjoyed myself my voice is like gone i probably won't even be able to talk tomorrow because i was super hyped up about these teams specifically that's why i left them for last and um yeah if you made it to this point thank you you are a true deep diver congratulations you are committed to fantasy football Thank you for listening. Hope you guys have a good one. Deep Dive Fantasy Football, out.